Welcome back to another great episode of Comedians in Bed. And as always, I'd like to give an introduction for our next guest. Now, when I seen the clips on IG, I was like, man, I have to have this guy on the show. Not only because he's funny, but he's by far probably one of the freshest white comedians I've ever seen dress. That's no lie. And I was like, this guy's thick. Wow. It's <laughs> like, this guy's thick, right? He's thick. And I went down his page a little bit. This guy, he can lift some weight. So we're going to get into all of that. But right now, with us today, I forgot to tell him, too, that we got some fans in here. But we're going to go ahead and give it up for my man, man, Adam Mueller, everybody. Welcome, Adam. Adam, how you doing, man? I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, man. I'm so excited to have you on the yeah, show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Yeah. You are one of the freshest. Uh, comedians I ever seen dress. I was like, this guy ever miss a miss a day? Okay, so what is now? This is gonna sound so ignorant, but what does that mean? Freshest dress, like because like I, you, I can't. You, you're not complimenting what I wear on stage, are you? Yes, I am. <laughs> wow, that's the best. That's fantastic. Yeah, I think you dress nice. It's pretty simple, oh. but yeah, it's flashy at the same time. Like I really like it. Oh, I appreciate that. You know, someone told me once to try to dress just a little bit nicer than the audience will be dressed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like not too much nicer because then it's weird, you know, but like just a little bit, just like put a little bit of effort in. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, no, yeah, okay. Because yeah, even you know. on the um, even on the special, I think you look you looked really like amazing. I just thought, oh, he just got like somebody to hook him up that day. But nah, this is ah. this is your this is your style. I like it. Oh, that jacket I wore in the special is one I've had, had like since I started. Oh, okay. Come okay. Out, it comes out at some of the big shows, you know. Um, <laughs> if you saw that, if you saw that thing on the inside, like all the lining is ripped, it's all falling apart. It barely, it's like duct taped together, but from the outside, it looks great. Is this your version of like your game day draws? Game day draws. Like your favorite draws that you wear where you play football? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, the lucky boxers kind of thing. Yeah, for, yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. For sure. No nah, man, I thought it looked. I thought. I thought. I, I think you look. I think you look good when you dress. Yeah, and I think that's important too because you never know who's in the audience. Yeah, you know. Um, look, I think it's it's about feeling comfortable up there. Like if you if you dress up too nice, like if you go up in like a suit and it's just not that kind of a room and you feel yeah. uncomfortable, it's gonna be bad. Like because you're yeah. not, you know. Um, and if you feel underdressed, that goes for anything. It's not just comedy. I hate when I go to an event and I feel underdressed. I just feel so uncomfortable. I mean, I feel like, you know, I don't like people anyway, let alone when I'm not dressed properly. Um, and if you show up to something and everyone's like in jeans and a t-shirt and you wore a suit, you're like, oh God, <laughs> I'm going to have to pretend I just came from some other event. <laughs> I have to make up a whole backstory about why I'm overdressed. It's so awkward. Some say overdressed, some say fashion forward, you uh, know. <laughs> But no, man, so how did we, like, get from Canada? Are you in New York right now? Like, how do we get I'm from New York Canada? Right now, yeah. How do we get from Canada to New York? And, like, what part of Canada were you born and raised from? Uh, so I went to, like, high school in Toronto. Um, when I was a little younger, I lived in Calgary, so, like, in western Canada. But we moved back east to Toronto for um, for high school. Uh, and then I came down here, like, for college. And then I just kind of never went back. It wasn't like, it wasn't a plan. Like I didn't come to New York for comedy. 
Like I, I was already, I started comedy in New York. I was already here. Um, I just kind of like after college, I just, just where I got the job. Like my first job out of college was in Boston. So I went to, so I moved to Boston and then, uh, and then I went to school, like grad school in Boston. And then I got a job in New York. So I came to New York. So certainly not like any kind of master plan, but uh, yeah. <laughs> it's just, you know, it's funny how life works. Like some people have these like plans from like when they're young and they just fucking, they just execute to try to achieve some goal that they've always wanted. Yeah. I just kind of like stumble into stuff. Yeah. <laughs> no, I understand. No, I understand. So what is like growing up in Canada? How is it like different from like mm. the United States? Oh, wow. Um, well, Toronto's just a big city. Like, if anything, it's probably like growing up in, in Chicago or something. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not quite New York. Like, it's not quite like New York's just so like dense, you know, Toronto's a little more spread out, but there's a lot of people. It's probably one of the top five biggest cities in North America, probably like New York, LA, Chicago, Toronto, something like that. I bet. Um, although there's probably somewhere in Texas is pretty, you know, I don't know how big Houston or Dallas is, but it's probably up there. So it's just like growing up in a big city that's cold. Yeah. Um, and maybe it's a little bit cleaner than, you know, an average American city. Like there's not as much trash on the street and stuff. But like, I don't know, if you if you if someone like blindfolded you and kidnapped you and plopped you down in downtown Toronto and they took the blindfold off, you wouldn't know you were in Canada until you heard someone say, hey. Yeah. And then you'd be like, where the hell am I? <laughs> <laughs> Do you speak French? No, not really. I understand no. a bit. You got to take it in school, but like, um, yeah. you know, any, I was never that good at it. And uh, most of what I know, I've forgotten. I can, yeah. if, a, if someone speaks to me in French very slowly, I can probably get the gist of what they're saying. Maybe. Yeah. I've took, I've taken French all the way from middle school and don't remember a goddamn oh, thing. Wow. Middle school to middle school to college and don't remember none of yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No. It's you got to use like so I think a language you got to just use it, you know. Yeah, you got to use it all the time to really get it. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, and where in Toronto, like growing up, it was all English. Like the only French that I, the only time anyone was talking French was in school in French class. So yeah. Now, how serious do you guys take your hockey up there? Man? Oh, very serious. <laughs> Is it more serious than how we take football down here? Ooh, I wonder if that's the best comparison. Um, I would compare it more to basketball. Okay. Because football is so different just because there's only 16 games and like tailgating. And like when you, you know, hockey's like an 82 game season. So if you tailgate every game, you're going to be in rehab very quickly. But um, <laughs> but it's like basketball where it's like you take it, you know, you've got your team, you've got your players. It's a big deal. It's it's probably the biggest sport in terms of like television and 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 stuff like going out to a bar to watch a game and um, it's pretty serious and ever and it's one of those things like most people play mm-hmm. like not everyone it's you know but like nine nine out of ten uh, nine out of ten Canadians if you ask them like did you play hockey growing up they'd probably say yes yeah yeah uh, even if they even if they were forced to and hated it you know but. But it's yeah, it's a big deal. Yeah, yeah. My girlfriend's from uh, Detroit, and we went to Detroit ah. this summer. And I every time I go to Detroit, that's the closest I've ever been to Canada. And I just def- desperately want to like sneak in so bad. Did you go? Because it's just no, I didn't. Okay. Yeah, no, no, I didn't. But me and her, we definitely want to like raise our our kids there. We feel like it'll be safer. Oh. 
Well, anything's going to be safer than Detroit, but um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like, look, there's parts of Canada, like there's a lot of stereotypes about Canada and like every stereotype, it's kind of true, but kind of not, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. there's gun violence in Toronto. It's not like it doesn't happen ever, um, yeah. but there's, but it's like less than here, you know, there, there's some, there's some tough neighborhoods. There's some r- r- rough, uh, you know, scary places, but generally, you know, generally people are probably a little friendlier and, you know, you get healthcare. Yeah. Which is a good, you know, <laughs> which is one last thing that you just have to stress about. I forgot we tell you to tell you I have laugh tracks too. Oh, I love it. <laughs> I was like, what's happening? Where's that laughter coming from? <laughs> oh, all right. So Toronto. Okay, cool. I had a uh I had a question, but I forgot what it was about. It was about Toronto, but I forgot what it was. But like anyway. a lot of Americans, their first exp- like, like a lot of people in like the Northeast, right? In in the US, they'll have gone to Montreal at some point and they're like, you know teenage years to drink underage and stuff um, yeah that's a fun town mm. and a lot of people from detroit have probably gone to windsor just crossed the border there yeah yeah because the drinking age in ontario is 19 so if you're 19 or 20 and you mm. live in, in michigan you go to canada mm. interesting interesting and you're, you're and you're legal mm. so how what brought you what brought you here to united to the states college really like i just mm-hmm. for some reason i wanted to come and go to school here i don't know why it, it's not a logical thing i think i just wanted to be different you know um because mm. way more expensive it was <laughs> but uh yeah and i wanted like i i went to a, a like a division three school so i played hockey for a couple years in college and i guess i i still kind of had that like dream of continuing to play mm. um and i was okay i was good enough to be a, a below average player on a division three team, but I wasn't going to do anything with it, but the dream wasn't dead yet. So I, I can't, you know, I think that's part of it. And I wanted to do something different. I wanted to go, also wanted to go somewhere where I didn't know anybody. Mm. Cause I, I thought like, Oh, you get to kind of like recreate yourself. You go to a college where no one knows you. And then of course it turns out someone from my high school went to the same place. <laughs> you can't, you can never fully escape. <laughs> Did you play it off like you didn't know him? Like, huh, huh? No, I had to acknowledge him. Uh, he's a good guy anyway. But uh, we didn't, I actually ended up, didn't see him that much in college. But, um, but you know, that's why. It was weird. It was kind of like not a well thought out decision. I just kind of did it. Yeah. I've done that a lot. Like, I don't, some people are like, have all these reasons for every decision. I <laughs> have, I was just kind of like, I got, like I, I you know, I, pl- I applied. So you have to, and I got in, um, ultimately and then and was just like okay i'll go yeah yeah so you got into mit like how exactly smart are you yeah i don't know um smart enough to fool them but but yeah yeah and i went there for a for a master's degree that was wild um it's kind of it's a cool thing i guess but um i don't know i guess i'm smart enough i'm smart enough to get into that to that program but uh, dumb enough to now be a comedian. <laughs> like, that's not a logical. It boggles my mind that, that I've never been subject to an intervention. Like, I <laughs> I went to MIT, then worked on Wall Street, and then said, hey, guys, I'm going to go into comedy, and no one, no one said a thing. Like, that's where you should have stopped me. 
is working for Wall Street is it as crazy and as adventurous as it looks on the movie? Is it just uh, a boring job? Oh, it's, um, it's probably somewhere in between. It's definitely not like what you see in the movies because the movies cuts out all the boring stuff where you're just sitting at a computer for 20 hours a day, like in Microsoft Excel, building some financial model. You know, that would make for a very boring movie. But um, yeah. but uh, there, so there is a lot of that. And it's a lot of hours, but there's like, there's an excitement to it too. Cause you know, you're dealing with like, there's big transactions and you, you know, things that you're working on are in the newspaper and stuff like that. Um, occasionally like you might fly around for a week on a private jet or something. And that's kind of, that's, you know, it's, those are interesting experiences, certain travel you get to do going to places. Um, so there's that, there's an element of like, you try to make it exciting and there's things that, that I did that I don't know if I would have gotten to do otherwise, but, but most of it's just a grind. You're just lots of coffee, lots of late nights on the computer, you know? Yeah. 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 So how do we get from there to like telling jokes? Was it like a dare? Was it like something you always wanted to do? How did we get into comedy? Uh, it's it's funny, right? Because you, you talk to some people and they're like, hey, when I was 12 years old, I would stay up late to watch SNL and I dreamed of comedy, you know, and I was like, eh, I never even listened to really listen to much stand up as a kid. Like occasionally I might have heard a little bit like here and there, but it wasn't it wasn't a big thing. Um, and in college, like I never I'd never would have considered that I could be a comedian in any way, shape or form. And then um, when I was on Wall Street and I was doing all like. I was doing all these presentations and I was always nervous about public speaking and having to go in and sit down with these, you know, CEOs of companies and stuff and explain numbers to them and things. And um, I somehow got it in my head that I could get better at that. Like I could make the anxiety go away if I took a stand-up comedy class. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure why I thought that it just somehow I think what happened was I, I saw an advertisement and I realized these comedy classes existed because until then I didn't even know they were around. And I saw an advertisement for one. And I thought, Oh, I'll bet you that trying to be funny is really hard and would help me with uh, kind of this corporate public speaking anxiety. So I took the class and then that was it. Like then I was just hooked. So yeah. sort of, and I don't know if it helps. And the, I probably helped with the corporate stuff because, you know, I didn't do it for that much longer. But, um, yeah, I do think there's something about like when you try to be funny and you're and no one laughs. Then when you just go into a meeting where you're not supposed to be funny, it seems way less stressful. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How did you. So what did what was that conversation like when you told your family or friends like, hey, I'm leaving Wall Street to go do comedy what well, took a while so i took a class right and i loved it and i was hooked and then but work was still really busy and then i waited like um like six or seven years and then i took the class again because someone was like because i was kind of like i don't know i was probably just uh venting or or, or or whining probably is a better word to some friend and they're like hey you always talk about that comedy class that you took like years ago instead of being like a whiny little bitch, why don't you just go take the class again? And I was like, okay. Um, so I took the class again and that's when I started like, you know, I, I didn't let it stop after that class. That time I just kept going. And um, most of my friends, like 
for a while, like I left, I left the corporate job and then I was just kind of doing comedy. And um, I kind of, I was like, I'll give it three or four months and then I'll look for a job, you know? And, uh, and then I just never did. Hmm. Um, and I think most of my friends think it's, they think it's cool that I'm doing something different, you know? Yeah. But, uh, but they're also like, there's gotta be, they're also like, you're kind of insane. Yeah. <laughs> like some of my friends, like, you know, you know, some of my friends are like, oh, it's great you're following your dreams, but I'll bet you like their wives are at home saying, don't you dare try that yourself. <laughs> like, yeah, like good for him. You know, good for like, him, <laughs> but like we've got kids to put through college. Don't you dare think of leaving your job. I don't care what your dreams are. Your dreams died the day we got married. <laughs> Forget about them. How did like the hustle from Wall Street like translate to uh, comedy, especially doing comedy in New York? Oh, um, well, I guess because like when I started sort of doing comedy in earnest, my view was like I got to figure out if I got to figure out if I'm talented at this or not. Like if I have any aptitude for it, and the only way to do that is to just go work really hard. Um, because the sooner I like if I'm if I if this isn't for me, the sooner I figure that out, the better, right? Hmm. So I think I sort of just. And I was used to working 100 hours a week. So I just kind of applied that same mentality of like, look, if you treat something like a hobby, it's a hobby. If you treat something like a job, it's a job. Don't worry that you're not getting paid. Just treat it like a job. And so what are the components of the job? Well, at first, there's, there's like writing jokes, right? Kind of practicing them on your own, taking them to open mics, hearing the response, editing it, doing it again, editing it, doing it again, doing as many open mics as you can. And then figuring out from there, like every once in a while, okay, what are the, what are the actual, sh how do I get in front of a real audience every once in a while to see how it works? And then, you know, rinse, repeat kind of thing and just keep going. Mm -hmm. um, and I would, you know, and then I tried to think of other creative ways that I could um, try to improve uh, on my own, because we all know early on, it's very hard to get stage time in front of like non-comics, right? So in New York, a lot of the open mics, the audiences are just the other comics waiting to do the open mic, which is not a great crowd, but it's, it's, it's what you got. So you make the best of it. Um, so I, I tried to just be creative about things and I would, you know, I'd start watching a lot of comedy and I would watch, you know, late night sets from like the, you know, Fallon or whatever. And I would um, transcribe them mm. and look at what the jokes looked like on paper. And, um, um, I think my AirPods are about to die. So let me just change the speaker. You're very fun. Um, you can still hear me all right, right? I didn't scream. Yeah, I can, yeah, oh, I can cool. still hear you. Yep. Um, so I would transcribe stuff and I'd watch all the late, like watch late night sets every day and think about why those people were funny. Watch people's specials, um, go to clubs and just watch the show. Of like, Because I think, I've, I this is just my observation, but it felt like a lot of... Uh, sort of open mic comics in New York didn't actually watch enough comedy because mm. they're so focused on trying to do as many open mics as possible. But it's like another, another thing you got to do every once in a while is check in with the people that have already made it or mm. are making it check in with the people that are where you want to be in three to five years and, and see what they're doing and how they're doing it and how they carry themselves. And you know, what is it to be professional? Cause you know, I'm coming from a corporate environment where like, I understand like what a job is, but there's a lot of people that, you know, this is their dream from when they're a kid. So they don't, they may never have had a corporate job or any kind of job where they had a boss. Yeah. 
So you they got you got to figure out how to like how to treat something like a job. And yeah. that's one benefit I had is I kind of knew how to do that to the extreme <laughs> level. Yeah. Yeah. I've never heard of somebody like writing out the joke. So are you were you doing that because it was easier for you to understand how to well, I'll ask you, like, why were you doing it? I, I guess it's different yeah, yeah. actually seeing the jokes on page, seeing the structure and whatnot. Well, because part of it is like, you know, the 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 funniest people are the people that are on stage and it sounds very conversational and and there's structure to the jokes, but you don't see the structure. Like when you're listening to it, you can't tell that there's structure. Um and then you just there's just a moment where something where they say something that's incredibly funny and you laugh and you're like, wow, it's just it's so seamless. It just feels like they're just talking to me. But then every 10 seconds, they're saying something really funny. And if you if you actually see if I see the words on paper, I can then kind of try to um, pull that apart and figure out where is the structure underneath this? What are they actually doing? How do they make it sound that way? Um, and I also do a lot of writing by hand. Right. Like mm -hmm. you're sitting and writing jokes on a, on a pad or in a notebook or on a laptop and so i wanted to try to understand what is this great five minute set that was on letterman 10 years ago what does it look like on paper hmm. so that so that when i'm writing on paper i can try to push myself in the direction where even the writing is a little bit more conversational yeah yeah and doesn't sound scripted and you know choppy um and then there's also some sets where it's like where the writing is just it's so good and that joke it's, it's, it's just so well written and so funny. And then there's other comics where you watch their set, right? They're, watch them do five minutes on Colbert or whatever. And it's and you love it. It's so funny. You watch it again. You laugh again. It's, it's great. And then you transcribe it. And then you look at the words and you're like, none of this is very funny. Yeah. Goes, oh, you know what's funny? The person is funny. Because I loved the set. It's not the words as much as it's the person. And that's a different kind mm -hmm. of comic. Right. And I was like that. And that helped me also figure out, like, I don't think that's who I'm going to be. I think for me, it's going to be the, like the words have to carry me because I it's just. I'm not like a theatrical person. I didn't, you know, don't have any kind of acting training. I didn't grow up doing high school plays and stuff. I'm not like a super high energy bouncing all over the place kind of person. So it's like what I say has to be funny. And then if I can over time develop some of those other skills, I can I can try to, like, make it even better. But um, one of the ways I learned that was by seeing sets on paper that if I just had read it, I'd be like, ah, oh, it's okay. And then I see it performing, it's hysterical. Mm -hmm. um, so you're just trying to, so just trying to, I felt like I was just trying to put the pieces together of like how this works. Yeah, yeah. I think that's where I, I think yeah, that's I where hear I hear a great joke. I'll sit yeah. down, I'll, I'll stop and write it down. Like someone else's great joke. Cause I just want to see what it looks like on paper. Right. I might write it down, read it, and then just throw the piece of paper out. But I just want to see what it looks like. Yeah. You know, I think that's where I struggle at right now. Like sometimes like um, if I say something simple, like it could be funny just because like how I said it or whatever. Right. But then like sometimes when I write it on when I write it down, it's like uh, this isn't funny. And I kind of don't trust myself to yeah. go with it or try it. So, yeah, that's kind of like one thing I'm kind of like struggling. With. Like, how do I make the the typical me like come out on stage i guess right and that's why sometimes like you know a, a riff on stage or a crowd work moment is so funny and then impossible to replicate because there's something about the energy of the moment and you and the crowd and what happened that's great 
And then there's, there's some people that are able to kind of somehow create that energy every time. Mm -hmm. And they just, it's just like, it's a gift. Um, and it's very, very hard to do, I think, but you know, I think it, to me, it was, it's very interesting to see, like, I wonder what that looks like on paper. Yeah. Are you a person that writes every day or are you a person that writes and then live life, write, live life? No, I try to write every day. Like occasionally I probably miss a day, but I'm pretty disciplined about it um, because I feel like I'm still at a stage where I just need to keep. And I do, I guess I, I should also say I define writing pretty broadly, like transcribing a set, like writing on writing, free writing, editing jokes, going back through old notebooks and looking for like little nuggets that I kind of ignored that I'm, you know, that I now might have an idea of how to turn it into something. To me, all that is writing. I put yeah. it all under the umbrella of writing. Um, no, I'm glad you said that because I would say I write every day, but do I write every day? No. I would say like if I go, like sometimes I'll put myself in situations because I know it's going to be funny. Mm. So I'll go do that and then I'll be like, okay, this is going to be funny. Let me tell it verbally to somebody first and then a couple right. of days later. I'll go ahead and write it down. So yeah, I'm glad you said that because I'll write. Maybe like, just going for like a long walk, you know. Sometimes you go for a long walk, you just let your mind wander, and then all of a sudden you're pulling out your phone to jot down notes on ideas for jokes. Yeah, and that's that's writing. Yeah, because sometimes you get your mind. Sometimes you know there's something about movement. I I, I generate a lot of ideas walking around, mm. and then you know when then I, when I get home. I can, you know, I take them from the phone notes onto a notepad or into the laptop and try to flush it out and brainstorm about like what the, how to turn it into like a joke that I could say on stage. But yeah. the idea came because I was just walking around. Yeah. Just thinking, just letting my mind wander. So when you edit jokes, like puff up the jokes, look for new tags, what, what joke, like what, how do you choose like which joke needs to be like worked mm. on a little bit more? And where are you like looking to like edit and, and beef it up a little bit more? Oh, it's such a good question. I just partly I just bounce around almost like I have joke writing ADD. Like I've got the file that has all these, you know, half written jokes or jokes that are sort of fully written in a sense, but aren't funny enough or never quite work, even if I think it's a funny idea. And I'll just bounce around them. I'll just open one file, look at it, you know, for 10 minutes, can't think of anything close it, go to, I'll come, you know, close it, open something else, look at it. Um, I'll go back through like the last few days of kind of my free writing notes mm -hmm. and see like, cause there'll be lots of like half or half conceived jokes that I just never finished. Cause I was just free writing and I got halfway through an idea and thought of something else. Didn't want to lose that. So I go to the other thing. So it's a lot of that kind of thing. And then often there's um when I, when I'm bouncing around like that, often I'll find a joke. And I'll get and I'll, I'll have some sort of moment where I think of that one thing that now makes it something that I think is worthy to try on stage or whatever, you know, mm -hmm. and then. And then from that, when it gets into a point where I'm like, oh, you know, it's getting a decent response on stage, then it's like. I'll, sometimes I'll have these holes in like the set or holes in my act where I know what I want to be there. Like, I know I want to joke on this topic and I don't have one yet that works. But, I, it, but it's an obvious topic and it would fit perfectly right in this spot. And um, and then I'll, I'll spend time every day writing to that topic. Mm -hmm. You know, trying to find something that will work. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and so there, I, there's, there's a lot of that where it's like, I know, man, it'd be cool to have a joke about 
whatever. You know, so let's just write about that. Like when I was starting, like, you know, it was obvious, it was obvious early days. Like I should talk about being from Canada. Right. So like mm -hmm. I would write about, you know, and it's a question of what can you come up with that works that, you know, is worth doing. And then you get more and more specific. Um, so there's a lot of that where it's like, there's a, I want to have a joke about X mm -hmm. as opposed to, as opposed to just waiting for something to happen in life or some idea to hit you that becomes like, where well, you're like, that's funny. Let's write a joke about that. Sometimes I'm like, I want a joke about, like I grew up in, like I went to high school in Toronto, but I grew up in Western Canada. And I, I remember there was a thinking like, I want a joke that starts, I grew up in Western Canada. Mm. What's the joke? So for, you know, months I would just write, to that until I got something. Yeah. Okay. Cause I was like, that's an obvious thing to talk about. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. One, uh, one thing I, uh, I've noticed is like, uh, I've been trying to learn like the different like writing styles and stuff like that. But when I actually try to like sit down and like write it to the writing style, it sucks. But like sometimes when I just freestyle any idea that come to my head, the writing style may naturally like come to me or sometimes I might look at it and be like, there's no writing style here. Like, is it good? Or is mm -hmm. like, like trusting my own writing, you know? Sure. Yeah. Well, sometimes I'll also like, you know, instead of pen to paper, I'll write by just turning on the voice recorder on my phone and talking into it. Mm -hmm. And I might talk for 20 minutes. And at the end of the 20 minutes, I might be like, you know what? I did not say anything that I think is even remotely funny. And I'll just delete the thing. Other times I'll be like, you know, I think right around minute three or four, I said something that I liked. So I'll go back until I find that moment, listen to it, and then write it down and then try to build off of that. But by just letting yourself talk, it's so much faster and easier than like having to type or write each thing. Yeah. Um, and then like just mark, like you can just mark on a piece, like every time you say something interesting, just be like, you know, mark the timestamp because you can go back to it. Okay. Okay. And that's, I mean, <clears throat> excuse me it's like for from comedy standpoint like the physical mm -hmm. act of writing like pen to paper yeah, yeah there's a lot of writing that's not that yeah yeah you know what i mean yeah, yeah yeah now one thing you do do that i like a lot is your social media man like you mm -hmm. stay with the current wave like you have the correct fonts it look right everything looks clean and professional um, are you doing that yourself or are you getting somebody else to do that? Like, how did you set your, your uh, social media up to be so successful? Oh, well, I would love for it to be more successful, but um, I do, I I'd kill to have someone do that for me. Um, yeah. That's a huge, that's, you know, that's time every day, but um, it just, it's, it became, look, it's been, it's been pretty obvious for a while that that's an important part of um, trying to be like a professional comedian, right? Like, very few people the, the days are gone when you could just go to a club and be funny on stage and like and turn that into a profession you need to be doing other stuff and it could be a podcast right it could be um you could write a write, write a best-selling book you'll probably get more stage time you know being a tv show a movie like the tip you know those sorts of things but all of it is also you have to be on social media so um i just kind of looked around at people that i thought we're doing well. And when you're, when you're kind of a nobody and you're starting from the beginning, you need to, um, you may as well take advantage of what you can learn from the people that have already been successful. Yeah. So it seemed like no one can guess like the algorithms 
that decide who gets to see your your videos like that's a big mystery but it does seem like there's certain things that help like having high quality video and audio captioning it like in, in a in a font that looks so you, as you said it looks sort of professional having a decent looking thumbnail having a title to the joke and all that stuff so because i i started to think of my instagram like homepage, not as like look i'd love to have we all want fans because if people buy tickets, you can do more shows like that's great. But there's an element of your Instagram page, which is also like your resume. Mm. Like, I think I think a comedy booker now, even before they go to your Web page, they're going to just look at you on Instagram. So I was like, I want them to see high quality, professionally produced um, videos with good jokes. Mm-hmm. The backup, like any any tape I send to a book or anything I write in an email, if they were look at if they were to look at my Instagram, they'd be like, yeah, that all makes sense. Yeah, yeah. You know? How do you kind of the approach? How do you figure out like what jokes to put on there? Because sometimes I at first I kind of worried about, it, but then I was like, it doesn't really matter. I'll, I'll put this joke on here, and yes, I'm going to say it the very next week at my show. Like, yeah, I mean, I think. I think the kind of era of like, don't burn a joke by making it public is kind of gone. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I've, I've got the special on YouTube and it's 77,000 views maybe. And if I do jokes from that hour at a club, very few people there have heard them before. Like, you know, it's, it's, um, we shouldn't think that we're so important at this point that like you put a joke on Instagram and you can't do it anymore. Of course you can't. And, and I kind of figured out just by watching comics that I like that I like and seeing like, you know, they're, they're doing, you know, maybe someone's doing a 15 minute set in the city. And like the first five minutes, I'm like, oh, that was like their Tonight Show set from three years ago. And then the middle five minutes is like some brand new stuff. And then the next five minutes is like that stuff that was from his first album. That was from his third album. And it's killing. Right. Because they're great jokes. And no one in the room cares that it's, oh, you're doing a joke you did on your first album. How dare you? Like No one cares. And their jokes are, and those jokes are all over their their social media. It's it's just in like some people might have heard the joke before, not totally remember it, still find it really funny. Other people haven't heard it before. Other people just enjoy, they love the joke and enjoy ex- experiencing it again with people that haven't heard it because it's so fun when you know. Because a joke is like a magic trick, right? If you mm-hmm. know the trick, it's fun watching other people react to it. Yeah, you haven't seen it before, so I think, you know, now that like I. I'm not as precious about what I put out on social media as I might've been at the beginning. You know, um, I, I, I'm, I think about it, but it's more like, you know, when, when 20 million people watch one of my videos, then maybe I'll think like, Oh, a lot of people saw that joke. <laughs> That'd be a great problem to have. Right. <laughs> um, also like, if that did happen, then just write a better, write a new joke. Like that's the job. Yeah, yeah. It's not easy, I, but that's the job. Yeah, I think that's what set me free. Like I, I was watching. Uh, uh, once I got Amazon Prime, they had they have all the episodes of uh Def Comedy Jam for the most mm. part, and I would see Cedric do it. I seen him do a joke that was on the Kings of Comedy. I'm like, wait, that's that joke. It, it was more developed. It was different, different ending and stuff right, like right. that. And then I seen Steve Harvey do a joke from uh Kings of Comedy too, and it was on. I guess HBO used to give comics like 30 minute specials. Yeah. And he, and he has one. And I seen it. I was like, that's the same. And once I seen that, I was like, oh, I'll just 
who cares? Like, yeah, and a joke is never done. Like, there's jokes that I did in my hour that I'm that I've that I'm still playing with and changing around and making them better. And I can, you know, there's no reason not to keep not to keep doing them and and working in new stuff. And you know, it's I think it's very different. It's a very different experience to see like a you know 20 second Instagram clip than to go see someone do a set live. It's a very very right. different. Right. Um, right. And your clips is what brought me to actually on the show, man. Oh, well, that's you, great. He's yeah. been doing some great things. Uh, I actually watched a special yesterday. Oh, to, thank you. You're the one. According to plan, man, how did you come up with the title, the location? Like, everything looked like I you, you clean cut, man. Like, the everything looked good. Like, even didn't I don't even think nobody even walked during the set. Like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, it looked, how did you come up with the whole special? Um, well, it kind of evolved. Like when I first thought about like taping something, it was more like, why don't I do an hour, get it on tape with like good cameras. And the very worst case is, um, it's like a bunch of Instagram clips, you know? Um, and if a joke doesn't work or if something weird happens, I just don't post that clip. No big deal. And then, um, I, West Side Comedy Club, which is where I filmed it. Shout out to West Side Comedy Club on the Upper West Side of uh, New York here, 75th and Amsterdam. Great club. There's a room I'd done and felt very comfortable in. I know the booker. And I said, hey, can I... They, they used to, before the pandemic, they did this uh, thing. They called it Feature Fridays. And they, they'd give a, a young, young a, a newer comic an opportunity to do like a longer set on a Friday. And they'd, and, they, and they'd probably do like 30, 35 minutes, right? And have some people open and... You know, it'd still be a 90 minute show or whatever. But the last, you know, you'd have like a newer comic headline. I said, hey, um, are you going to bring those back now, now that things are reopening? And and she said, you know, hadn't, you know, would you be interested in doing one? I said, absolutely. And then we were kind of talking about it. And she's like, give me some dates. And eventually I, I, I kind of got it in my mind. Like, I want to do it, but I don't want to just do a half hour. I want to do the whole. I want to go up there for as long as people will listen to me kind of thing. And uh, so we picked a date and it was like a Thursday night, um, which was which which I knew was it was a good night, you know, to get a good comedy crowd. And um, as I started preparing for it kind of on my own, I got I started liking the material more and more in this in the way that it felt in the hour. Because um, I didn't really have the opportunity to like go on the road and like work an hour the way that more established comics do i'm still new enough that i'm not like i'm not a national headliner you know what i mean i open for people sometimes mm -hmm. and do a lot of stuff in the city but i'm not i'm doing 10 15 minute spots every once in a while maybe i get a 20 25 minute spot i don't so the so the recording that you saw was the first time i'd ever done that hour which is wild to me um and i only got one show so i only had one chance to make it work that was a lot of pressure. <laughs> so we, uh, it was wild, and um, and I didn't hire a camera crew. I kind of did that all myself, and and we, you know, had some friends help. A, a comic named Dave Colombo came in with his. He's a really nice camera. He brought his. I brought a camera. That the club has a house camera, and then oh, okay, brought in like a couple other, frankly not that cameras that actually aren't that great, but would work for various purposes. And we set it all up and kind of mic'd the room, and then did the show. And yeah. uh and it went great. Let's take a uh I didn't tell you we were gonna do this, my fault. Um uh, let's take a look Ooh. at the trailer for it actually. Oh cool. Uh, 
so people can see what we are talking about here. Here's a trailer from According to Plan, now available on YouTube. I grew up playing uh, hockey in Canada, and I'll never forget some advice I got from my high school hockey coach, right? Before a really important playoff game, he pulled me aside and he said, Adam, don't skate to where the puck is. Stay on the bench. <laughs> when I was like 10, my parents sat me down. They said, Adam, we want to talk to you about sex. I was like, cool, what do you want to know? <laughs> I was living with a lady uh, during the lockdown. The other day I was leaving the apartment. She told me I looked nice. I was like, thank you. She's like, you know, Adam, it'd be nice if you told me I look good every once in a while. I was like, you look good every once in a while. And she goes, no, I'm a permanent whore. Just fill the prescription. You could not name your baby Floda. It wasn't fake. It was a reenactment. That girl danced. I learned this one the hard way. The only thing more suspicious than an internet browser history that's full of porn is an empty browser history. Yeah, man. Like I said, man, I loved it, man. It was it was amazing. Oh, thank you. I, that, that was that was really I really did enjoy it. Uh, I do also got really lucky, by the way, is it that um, after I filmed it, like when I was preparing a. Uh, a guy reached out to me that is like edited and directed some specials for some really big name comics, like people that I, you know, that I would, that are like some of my favorites mm -hmm. and asked if he could like direct it. Um, and so I, I, you know, I had all that footage and I just gave it to him. And so like that trailer that we just watched and, and the special itself was all kind of, he edited it, you know, cut like colored it, which is like, you did all the post-production stuff worked yeah, with yeah. the audio guys to get all that sorted out and um and then and basically directed it a guy named jason katz and he's done yeah, a bunch yeah. of the bunch of these amazing specials on youtube that people are watching for free he's directed he's amazing okay yeah i was i was wondering like uh what, what was up with like the four water bottles you had like four water bottles <laughs> oh wait I, was, I wonder if where is it um there were four water bottles and i'll tell you why have it around here somewhere. I don't know where it went. Oh, there it is. Here's one of them. <laughs> this is one of the four. And you won't be able to read that, but those are the names of jokes. Okay, okay, okay. So this was hidden in the middle of the four water bottles, just in case. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I could go take a sip and just see where I was. If and I never ended up needing it, but I kept it as a souvenir. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'd seen, I'd seen, um, I saw Sam Marill tape a special at the Village Underground, like one of the comedy cellar rooms in New York. And there was multiple water bottles on the stool, like just in case he got really thirsty, I guess. Yeah. And yeah. it just stuck in my head as I just was like, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I, maybe I need more than one. <laughs> so I just put four there and hid this other one with the jokes on it in the middle. It stood out for sure. I'm like, is that four? I, I thought one of them might have like the. You're not the only person that has mentioned it. So if I, you know, for the next one, I'll just have one bottle. I think. <laughs> no, man, I thought it was cool. How did you like? Why? Why is it so important to like bet on yourself and do it yourself? You mean you put it all together yourself? You you said no, I don't want the thirty. I want the whole hour. You know, you you stretch yourself there. You. 
relied relied on your friends to come through for you and help you record it like yeah. why is it so important to like bet on yourself well i think like i think there's been a massive like change in how um like how stand-up comedy works right like if you go back and i may i may get like the timing wrong a bit but if you go back to say like the mid 80s or something right you you're coming up as a comic and um you're, you're working at the clubs or you're trying to get into the clubs and in the back of the room smoking a cigarette is some old grizzly looking dude with a weird hat on or something who's a manager comes up to you after and is like, ah, you've got what it takes, kid. I'm going to make you a star, you know? That doesn't, because they saw potential in you and they, they have a view on a path to like doing things, you know, getting somewhere. I don't think that happens anymore. I think what happens now is someone, some manager is combing through Instagram looking for someone with 200,000 followers that um that has content that could be done live and then reaches out and says hey is anyone managing you you have a bunch of followers i can i can help you sell out clubs all over the country so you have to prove you have to prove yourself you have to kind of prove that you can develop a following first before anyone wants to deal with you and if mm -hmm. you're like me and you're a little older when you started um you're less marketable right so it, it's become a do-it-yourself industry mm -hmm. And yeah. so like, I was like, I need to, um, I need more content. I like believe in a lot of these jokes and I could have waited a few years and done, I could do it. And, and would it be better? Maybe, you know, but I felt like, I, I think I can create something that'll be good. And I was like, if I do, if I do an hour, like I can wait. I also felt like I have the luxury of seeing what I get in that hour. Like that YouTube special, if it had been, 25 minutes long like if we had cut more than half the jokes but it was just 25 minutes that was like awesome that that would have worked too like that would have been fine um but it you know i i liked that it went so well and that i could like i think the set like uh beginning to end with no edits is like 62 minutes and then the specials of 57 minutes or something so we cut out we cut out a few water breaks um there was a woman that got thrown out and we cut that out mm. Just get thrown out. She was drunk and upset at a couple of the jokes. Oh, okay. Um, towards the end, there's like a five minute chunk at about minute 40, 45 that gets a little dark, the dark part. And she did not like that. And um, <laughs> it made a bit of a ruckus. So we cut that out. I kind of wanted to leave it in, and Jason convinced me not to. And I think, yeah. it's, I think he's smart. So, so, you know, and we cut out, um, there were one or two jokes at the beginning that were about like COVID and the pandemic. And I was watching all these specials as we were editing it. And I was just like, no one, like, I don't care. Mm -hmm. Like these were all, you know, we don't need, like, we're done with this. And I'm not saying the pandemic's over. It's not like COVID still exists. It's not that it's just in terms of sitting through material because, you know, you, I, I taped it in June. It came out in September by September of, of 2022. Like people didn't want to hear pandemic jokes. Yeah. So I cut a couple of those jokes out at the beginning. Yeah. Um, Cause I was like, let's get right to the other stuff, you know? And that was it. And the rest is just as it was. How did you build your social media following? I mean, I've seen some, I've seen some changes, like how do you present your jokes? Like with the, with the font. And then you had like some skits that you were doing a little bit. Like how did you build your following or was it just through doing that? I mean, I think it's just, for me, it's mostly from, from posting the clips. Like, um, 
I had uh, I didn't have much of a social media presence like before the pandemic. It wasn't something I was really focusing on. Over the course of the pandemic, I like one of the things I did when we were all locked inside was just to talk. I, I just watched a lot of YouTube videos about how cameras work, how video editing works. Taught myself Final Cut Pro so I could do a little more like advanced editing. Um, figured out like what what's this what kind of camera gear can I run around the city with and get high quality video how do i get the audio um and then uh just started posting consistently and you know some clips got a lot like a got like very little every once in a while something would just get a bunch of viewers and um and you know some portion of those viewers would would follow me and then over time that just grew and it's still like you know i think i'm at something like seventeen thousand instagram followers which is great like no complaints um, I started the pandemic at like 300. So that's, that's a big improvement. But what you've seen, I've seen a lot of people where they have like a few thousand and then one, one video gets 9 million views. And two months later, they have a hundred thousand Instagram followers. So it's just about, I kind of freed myself by not trying to predict which video people would like, mm-hmm. like put the stuff that you would want to see. And, and you won't, the ones that have done the best, and I've never cracked it. Like, I'd love to crack a million views on a video. I haven't done that yet. I think I've got one that's maybe 150,000 is the most I've gotten. But um, you can't, it's very hard to predict which ones it'll will do well. Mm-hmm. So just, I wanted to put the stuff up that I, that is like, if, if a booker of a club sees it or um, like a comedian I respect, there was the nicest thing I've seen on Instagram so far is when like a, you know, national touring headliner that's on an HBO special and is someone that I just have so much respect for likes the video. You're just like, ah, oh. it just, you know, it feels great. Adam, how many years are you in? I'm like five and a half years in. You're five and a half. Right, you're doing your thing. Man. Five and a half years, like kind of full time, right? Because I just went zero to 100 right out of the gate. Once, yeah. once I took that second class, I was just like, I'm all in. Yeah, yeah. No, that's good stuff, man. That's real good stuff. Real good stuff. What what is like what is like your ultimate stage that you want to be on? Ooh. Like when you make this stage, you're like, Adam, you know what? You freaking made it. What's that stage? Yeah, that's a, such a good question. Cause I, I, I subscribe to the idea that like um long-term goals are are uh are not necessarily healthy but like short to medium term goals that are like achievable. And then as you achieve them, the next one, like, you know, if you're like, if your long-term goal is like, I, you know, I'm not going to make it unless I sell out like Carnegie hall or something. It's like, well, good luck. Very few people ever do that. You know? But if, if I say like over the next few years, I'd like to get like regular feature work and start to make a little bit more money and like, it would be a dream to just do like a headliner weekend at like a top tier comedy club. Right. right. That's, that's not easy, but it's, that's, it's an, it's an achievable goal, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of how I think about it. Like being able to just go on the road and do, and do like headline, you know, five shows in a weekend would be so much fun. Yeah. And, um, exhausting but so much fun (laughs) and i'm sure if i get to that and you ask me the same question i'll have some other answer right 
right? But that's just how it goes. Like each time you, you know, every time you get close to the goalpost, push them back. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what Mount Rushmore is? Yeah, of course. Okay. I'm only asking because I had somebody else on here and they didn't know at all. Oh, so okay. I want to make sure. Who's on your comedy Mount Isn't Rushmore? Isn't that a movie with uh, Bill Murray? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> who's on your Mount comedy? Uh, who's on your Mount Rushmore of comedy? Oh, uh, it's such a hard question because I think comedy, um, like there's different eras of comedy, right? Like there's certain there's certain things that wouldn't exist today if it weren't for certain people. But sometimes when you watch some of their stuff now, like I, because you're not watching it when it was sort of created, it feels sort of like dated and not quite and not current. And it's hard to understand what the impact of that might have been at the time. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so like. Whew, it's so hard to say who would like if I try to think of like from a historical context in terms of like uh, who's done stand-up in a way that the rest of us have benefited and built on what they've done and like comedy wouldn't be what it is today if it wasn't for those people then it's probably it's like you know richard pryor chappelle um maybe like a, a wanda sykes ellen degeneres you know um but I wouldn't say those are like the four biggest influences on me directly. Cause I think I'm more influenced by people that are a little like that are kind of in clubs today. Mm-hmm. Whereas all, you know, obviously Chappelle's still around. Chappelle and Wanda Sykes are still around, but they're not doing like the local chuckle hut. Right. Any, you know, anymore. Um, I don't know if that's uh, the problem with the Mount Rushmore is it's only four people and there's like so right. many, you know, no. Right. Right. So I see you got a lot of books. Do you have any any records? Oh, like albums? Yeah. Um, not really. Not a. Oh, okay. I only brought it up because I have a comp- a couple of comedy albums that you said prior, and I. Have- oh, I've got some like I've got like I've got some comedy albums, but all digital. Yeah. 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 Okay. But like, because okay. I like li- I like listening to some of that old like prior Bill Hicks and stuff, um, George Carlin, because it's like it informs. The comedy is, you know, whether it's an art form or an entertainment form, whatever you want to call it, it hasn't existed that long. Right. Like painting, like doing a painting, it's like, well, they've thousands of years. Like you can go back to cave paintings, right? Before like humans could even speak probably. But stand-up comedy is like someone on a stage with a mic and a stool. It's not that like 50 years. Like it wasn't really like, I mean, it existed before the like late 70s, but not in sort of the form, like, comedy clubs as a place really started in probably like the late seventies or something. That's only 50 years ago. That's not a long time. Yeah. And a lot of people still haven't been to comedy clubs. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of people that do go, go once every other year kind of thing, which, um, which I always try to remember, you know, when you're at a comedy club and someone's paid $25 for a ticket two drink minimum or two item minimum, they're probably spending another, at least another 25 to 30 bucks. And then tax and tip. If they're spending 50, 60 bucks a head to be there, like your job is to do everything you can to make them laugh. Yeah. Yeah. It's not about you. It's about them. Yeah. I don't like wasting people's time. Yeah. 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 Adam, what type of advice would you give to any comedian out there that's listening to this podcast right now? Oh, wow. Um, follow me on Instagram. No. Um, <laughs> um, 
I don't know, man. I think, look, I think it's very easy to see the people that get that, that for any, whatever reason, kind of um, have things happen for them very quickly. And you always got, cause they're going to, they're the ones you're going to see on Instagram or on social media. And, and that happens, you know, people, people get, have a, a combination of like talent and luck and hard work. Sometimes it just feels like in, in a very short period of time, certain people achieve huge goals, but um, you got to remember that's the exception rather than the rule. And, very few people succeed in this without putting in the time. Mm. There's no, like, there's not a lot of, there's no cheat code. If someone comes along and plucks you out of obscurity and gives you something great, take it, make the most of it. Um, make the most of that opportunity. But there's not, you know, there's not some cheat code where someone's like, well, if you just do this, this, and this, you'll be on, uh, you know, SNL or whatever it is. Um, you just gotta, you gotta enjoy the journey and enjoy telling jokes. Um, and understand that like that doesn't mean you have to enjoy every part of it like getting on stage and making people laugh like it's a huge rush right like when when you have a good set like i don't know what whatever that chemical is that gets released in your brain like you're high when you get off stage you feel amazing all those the, the endorphins and the whatever but um the the hard work is the work you don't see which is like you're like banging your head in your apartment because you can't find the right word for a joke or like this thing you think is super funny just no it isn't working and you're just like doing it again and again and again and again trying to figure it out because it's like it's gotta be funny it's, there's gotta be a way like and just writing every day and sometimes you write for three hours and you get nothing and all that all that's the work that you need to put in and it's not all fun yeah but the payoff is fun adam tell people why they should listen to comedians in bed in bed yeah oh um like alone in bed or are you in bed with someone else um <laughs> no man the name of the podcast i know, I, know. <laughs> I took i decided to take you literally oh this is, look this is um i only listen to comedians in bed <laughs> Where it's like, what's his name? Uh, the Beach Boys guy that did all wrote all his music in bed. It's the best place. <laughs> How's it look? This is this, well. If all your interviews are as good as this one, then uh, what? This is the best podcast that exists. Move over, Joe Rogan. We got a new uh, podcast in town. You know, <laughs> Adam. Tell people where they can find you at, man. Um, on Instagram at adam.mueller. It's M-U-L-L-E-R. Um, same uh, handle on TikTok, which is basically the same content. So just go to Instagram. Don't, you know. Um, I'm on Twitter, adam underscore Mueller. And, um, and then adammuellercomedy.com is the website. And I'm always, uh, almost every night, I'm somewhere in New York City. Appreciate you, man. If you guys want to watch this uh, next episode for next week or whatever, you can go ahead and subscribe to my YouTube channel at Ty Erskine. Or if you want to listen to the audio version, you can listen to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, man. We'd like to thank Adam again for joining us today. This has been another great episode of Comedians in Bed. We'll see you guys next week. Oh, there we go. Hold on. There we go. There we go. Nailed there we go. it. <laughs>